This is Zach Driscoll, and I'd like to welcome you to the Real Men Podcast. To find more Bible teaching and content like this, visit markdriscoll.org. And don't forget to set aside a good chunk of time, because my dad has a habit of preaching lengthy sermons. All right, if you are one of the new guys, let me explain to you how this works. We have Sunday services going through a book of the Bible called Daniel, and then for the men, do a bit of an application and overview of what we covered on Sunday. If you were with us on Sunday, Daniel chapter seven is the pivot in the book. The first six chapters are about biography and history. Uh, The second half of the book is filled with prophecy and the future. The first half is complicated. The second half is really complicated. And if you read Daniel chapter seven, getting ready for our Real Men's Bible Study tonight, you're gonna see uh, a lion with eagle's wings. You're gonna see a a misshaped bear. Uh, You're going to see a leopard with wings that apparently can run and fly. Some conglomerate crazy beast that also includes portions of other animals and iron. And you're probably thinking to yourself, what is this all about? It may seem like uh, something you saw when you were in college if you were in a fraternity on a Friday night. After a few too many drinks, this is kind of how the imagination might end up. All of that has very specific prophecy for the future, but I wanna do in Daniel chapter seven is just focus on one thing and one thing only, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the focus of Daniel 7. There's a lot of other supernatural and prophetic things that are happening, but ultimately the focus that I wanna get us to is Jesus. For those of you guys who are new, let me just tell you about Jesus. Uh, Many of you listening online may not know Jesus or know much about him. Many of you guys who are with us, you are either non-Christians, welcome, we love you, we're glad to have you, Uh, brand new Christians just trying to figure out kind of who Jesus is. When we're talking about Jesus, his first name, Jesus is a derivative of the Old Testament name, Joshua. Christ means the chosen or anointed one of God. So Jesus Christ is who we are talking about. He lived about 2000 years ago. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his home. Uh, He never owned a home. He never married a woman. He never uh, had any children. He never ran for political office. He did not have a large well-funded ministry. Uh, Yet in his wake, Christianity is the largest movement of any sort or kind in the history of the world. And a few billion people on planet earth today claim to worship Jesus as God. More songs sung to him, more paintings painted of him, more books written regarding him than anyone who has ever lived in the history of the world. We measure time by this man, Jesus Christ, into BC, before Christ, AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. If you're a guy who says, I wanna make my life count, I wanna make a difference, I wanna be a legacy maker, I wanna be a history writer, then you have to look to Jesus because he is in a category unto himself. Around the turn of the new millennium, Uh, Newsweek ran a cover story on Jesus and they concluded by any secular standard, Jesus is the dominant figure of Western culture. Everyone exists and one person exists in a category unto himself, that's Jesus. How did he do it? What was the secret of his success? And why do we pay so much attention to him? Well, number one, he claimed to be God. There is no other major world religion that has its founder making the claim that he is in fact God. Jesus alone makes that claim. Uh, In addition, Jesus' resurrection is the most significant event in the history of the world. 
openly, repeatedly, publicly, Jesus not only said he was God, he said he would prove he was God by dying in our place for our sins and then rising from death to defeat death our enemy and to give us an eternal relationship with God. So as a result, uh, other religions are based on a place. So there's a holy place that you go to as the headquarters for us. We don't have a holy place, we have a holy person. We don't have a headquarters, we have Jesus Christ who is our head. Why do I tell you all of this? Because most of you have heard at least something about Jesus, but in my experience, there are two primary reasons and ways that people, but especially men, perceive or misperceive Jesus. And, and many men perceive Jesus wrongly. They don't understand who he truly is or what he truly does. And so I wanna work with you from two books of the Bible. Uh, we're gonna start in a book called Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible and it is prophetic, meaning it's telling us history in advance. God knows and rules the future, so he reveals it to us in advance. And then we're gonna go to the book of Daniel and they're both talking about Jesus. They're both talking about the end of time. They're both talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ into human history. And also they're both talking about the kingdom of God. So let me start at the end, Revelation, and then work backward to Daniel. And, um, and by way of uh, just sort of analogy and introduction, chapter seven of Daniel, I think is mentioned 58 times in the New Testament. The majority of the appearances are in Revelation. So there is this direct corollary between Revelation and Daniel. Uh, Jesus, first thing we learn here is that he's simultaneously, continuously, both lion and lamb. Revelation 5, 5 through 6, speaks of Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David is conquered, and between the thrones, so he is a king and kingdom, and all this imagery that we see throughout Daniel, including Daniel 7, and the four living creatures, we are seeing in Daniel 7, various living creatures and beings, some love the Lord, some hate the Lord, some are angelic, some are demonic. All of this shows up again here in Revelation and saw the elders, these are human leaders. I saw a lamb, that's Jesus, standing as though it had been slain. And so it's talking about here, Jesus ruling from a throne as a lion and dying on the earth as a lamb. And it's showing us here the fullness of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. Most people tend to see Jesus as lion or lamb. Those who only see him as lion, see him as judgmental, uh, maybe a bit um, harsh, maybe a bit intimidating, maybe a bit overbearing. Others who only see him as lamb, they see him as kind, as pleasant, as loving, as nice, as patient. But that view of Jesus is oftentimes not very appealing to men unless they're men that have been really broken and they need to be healed up by someone who is compassionate and tender and patient with them. And that of course happens to every man at some point in his life. And if you think about it, uh, and for those of you guys that are um, familiar with my teaching, this is something that I've taught repeatedly for years and I'm bringing it uh, to present here because we have so many new men. Uh, many of you men, if not the majority of you men are new. And in addition online, uh, most of that you know, audience or constituency would be people that are new. So I wanna summarize something for you guys that have been with me for a while, just bear with me for a moment. And that is uh, when we think of lion, lion is king of the jungle and a lion literally eats whatever it wants. It'll eat an elephant, uh, it'll eat an alligator. Uh, you, you can't outrun a lion, you can't outfight a lion. A lion goes and does whatever it pleases. 
A lamb is completely the opposite. Lambs are the most tender creatures. When a kid can't sleep, we tell them count sheep. Uh, in Sunday school, we give kids a cotton ball and glue and we tell them, hey, let's, uh, let's just glue that to a sheet of paper and tell you that Jesus is very safe. And, uh, and, I, and I like to say that, uh, that, that lions and lambs are different because a lion, well, they are aggressive. Well, a lamb is passive. Uh, a lion is a carnivore. Uh, a lamb is a vegetarian. Um, and a lion tends to run in a pride or a pack and a lamb tends to be homeless. I, I like to say that lambs are the first hippies. They're homeless pacifist vegetarians. And what happens is for men, we either see Jesus as lion or lamb. And the truth is that he's both. When Jesus comes to earth for the first time, he comes primarily as lamb. He goes from glory to humility. Jesus preexisted and lived in heaven before he came to earth. He went from wealth to poverty. He went from being worshiped by angels to serving sinners, including feeding people and washing the feet of his own disciples, including his betrayer, Judas Iscariot. He went from living and ruling and reigning to serving, suffering and dying. And so Jesus comes first time into human history as a humble lamb. We see it here, lamb that is slain. That's Jesus' lamb. He does that for us. He does that to seek us. He does that to serve us. He does that to save us because Jesus is the one who loves us. Jesus will come again. Jesus died, he rose, he ascended. Right now, Jesus is alive and well as a lion. <clears throat> he is ruling and reigning. He is seated on a throne. He is ruling over the unseen divine realm. And one day he'll be entering into human history and all of the angelic army and the other heavenly hosts and divine beings will come with him to set up a kingdom that will never end and judge and destroy all of their kingdoms on the earth. That's the storyline and the driving narrative of Daniel. So the next time we see Jesus, we will not see him primarily as lamb. We will see him primarily as lion, as lion, ruling, reigning with full authority none able to come against him. And it's important to see him as both because Jesus is a lion for us, protecting us, and he's a lamb with us, very safe and gentle. Think of it like this way. Think of a military soldier, maybe a Navy SEAL or, or some other deployed special forces operative. When on mission, they are a lion. They, they, they will not back down, they will not quit. They are going to fight and defend everyone and everything that they love. Yet when they come home and they're with their little girl, you'll see that same soldier, not with eye black, but instead sitting down at a little table, having a tea party with his daughter. He's a, he's a lion for his little girl, but he's a lamb with his little girl. He's a lion for his wife, he's a lamb with his wife. He's a lion for his kids, he's a lamb with his kids. The problem for most men who see Jesus as lion, they're always lying. And they're the ones that cause the women and children to be scared of them. Others who only see Jesus as lamb, they're loving, tender, merciful, compassionate, kind, but they don't protect women and children when harm could come and befall them. And what tends to happen is lions win at work and they lose at home, and then lambs win at home and lose at work. So these guys make relationships and these guys make money. That tends to be the way that it works. Jesus is both, Jesus is perfect. Jesus is the perfect example for all men. And the moral of the story and the point is we need to be lions 
and lambs, we know when to be tough and when to be tender, okay? Now this sets up Daniel chapter seven, where he is looking into the future. So Daniel lives about five, 600 years before Jesus is born on the earth. He's looking through the first coming of Jesus and his life, death, burial, resurrection, his ascension into heaven. And then he's looking even further down the corridor of history. We're now two and a half thousand years roughly removed from, from Daniel and Jesus hasn't returned yet. So at this point, Daniel is actually getting a prophetic insight about two and a half thousand years plus however many more years we wait for the second coming of Jesus. And here's how he reports it in Daniel chapter seven. As I looked, thrones, okay? So throne denotes kingship, rulership, kingdom of God, authority. Jesus throughout scripture is seated on a throne. Here, there are other thrones that divine and human beings, those who know and love and serve God will rule and reign with him forever. Jesus, uh, we are told in the uh, book of Revelation, he says, to those who overcome, I will give a throne. So not only does Jesus sit on the high throne, those who are faithful servants of the Lord Jesus, and I want that to be you, also sit on lower lesser thrones, ruling and reigning under his authority and dominion. As I look, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. That's God the Father. God the Father here is referred to as the ancient of days. This means eternal without beginning or end. He took his seat, his clothing was white as snow. His hair was like pure wool. The white hair denotes purity, sinlessness, holiness, perfection, right? God is holy and altogether and only pure and good. His throne was fiery flames. The imagery of fire in the Bible usually refers to judgment or purification. And that's likely what is happening here. Its wheels were burning fire. What this means is that God's justice, it moves. God is not just contained or constrained by a particular time or place. He is free in every time and place to move for the purpose of judgment and justice. In their day, when uh, many things were not mobile, they didn't have the same modes of transportation that we do. If you put wheels on something, it's so that it was portable and movable. The justice of God rolls around the earth and no one is beyond God's judgment and justice. He says, a stream of fire uh, issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Uh, These are angels and other divine beings. We've already seen it in the book of Daniel. There is the angel Gabriel, the angel Michael. There are angels. Um, There are the watchers, there are the holy ones, these various divine beings that live, exist presently, continually in the unseen supernatural realm, just like there are human beings in the seen and natural realm. So for God, there are two realms, but one reality. And what it's saying here is that Daniel gets to glimpse into what God the Father and God the Son are doing. It's like the curtain pulls back. What this tells us is that our God is a king and he rules over a kingdom that exists right now. And it's just as real as the nation in which we live. And his staff includes innumerable angels. Daniel can't count them all. A thousand times a thousand, 10,000 times 10,000, not only angels, but other divine beings. Just by a corollary from the supernatural to the natural, imagine you saw a king and then he was just surrounded with an army. 10,000 times 10,000. You would say that 
is a guy in authority. That is a guy with purpose and passion. And that is a guy who does whatever is his pleasure. That's the whole perspective that God not only has soldiers in the physical world, he has a divine army in the spiritual world of the unseen realm. And it talks about the court sat in judgment. This would be God's divine counsel. There are occasions where God will bring his divine family or his human family or both his divine and human family together. He will render a verdict, they will serve as witnesses and then they will be dispensed, dispersed to enact the judgment or the decision, the verdict that God has rendered. That's exactly what's happening here. The point is that all of human history is going to a judgment seat before which we will give an account to God and our lives will be judged. That's exactly what he's telling us. Um, the books were open. This is the record of people's behavior, conduct, and life. I saw in the night vision, so it's a vision for him. It's like a dream that he has when he's asleep, and it's a vision that he sees when he's awake. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. God the Father here is the Ancient of Days. This is Jesus Christ coming as a man but more than just a man, not a mere man, he's the God man. So he's like a son of man. This is telling us before Jesus was even born the first time that he'd be coming the second time as the son or like the son of man. The language is important. The language of like or as usually tells us that it's communicating a, a literal truth in a figurative way. So it's Jesus is literally coming, but here, Daniel is straining with human language to explain what is Jesus like when we see him again. And this is exactly how we will see Jesus the next time we see him, that he is returning to judge the living and the dead. He is coming to raise the dead and to ultimately determine our eternal fate. And he comes on the clouds of heaven. Now, as men, we have various modes of transportation. Some of you guys rode a motorcycle here. You were saying a statement. Some of you guys drove a truck. I drove a Jeep. Some of you guys drove a car. Some of you guys drove a minivan. We won't talk about what statement you're sending, but we all send a statement with whatever mode of transportation we choose. And what men tend to do, we tend to size up other men by their mode of transportation. Any dude who shows up on a cloud, that dude is really in a category under himself. Jesus literally rides a cloud. I don't know what this looks like. I don't know if he's got a surfboard. I don't know how he comes back, but he comes literally riding on a cloud, which is amazing. I mean, only in modern era have we been able to get on an airplane and go up and fly among the clouds. Imagine getting out of the plane and then riding the cloud. That's a whole different class of flight. And that's exactly what Jesus has here. On the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. So God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who exists eternally, goes before God the Father, and they have an agreement that God the Father is going to send him into human history to enact judgment, and he's going to ride into human history with the full angelic and other divine being army. Jesus comes, loaded for war, ready to put an end to injustice and sin and folly and death, to defeat all that is demonic, to deliver all who belong to him. He goes on to say, it was presented for him and to him was given dominion. Uh, this is jurisdiction, right? If you own a house, you're the Lord of that plot. If you own a piece of commercial real estate, you have dominion over it. Jesus' dominion is over all creation. His portfolio simply says everything. 
And what that means ultimately is everything you have and own is ultimately part of his portfolio. It's under his dominion, which is wise men. We wanna be good stewards to use, invest everything so that it is used for Jesus' purposes because ultimately it is Jesus' possession. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. That this Jesus is global and he is eternal. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, young or old, black or white, urban, suburban, rural, Democrat, or also Republican or Libertarian, whatever case your, uh, your group might be. Everyone, everywhere, ultimately is gonna be under the dominion, the sovereign rule, the authority of this King Jesus and his kingdom of God that comes down from heaven meaning it's not man-made. This is not God taking a nation and improving it. This is not Jesus coming back and becoming prime minister or president. Ultimately, this is God returning into human history, putting an end to all nations and bringing his own, not up from the earth, but down from the kingdom. That's exactly what he's showing and saying. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Our companies come and go, our families come and go, our lives come and go, nations come and go. The kingdom of God endures forever, which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. The saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. That's you. When it talks of saints, it's talking here of those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are a man who either belongs to Jesus or becomes a Christian and starts belonging to Jesus, this is a guaranteeing of your eternal inheritance. Imagine that you're in college and you're studying and you're undergoing your tests and you're seeking to pass your test so that one day you can graduate so that what? You can get the job, right? The job that you hoped for, the job that you prepared for, the job that you've longed for. This life is where school is in session, the tests that you face, are to prepare you for your promotion. That ultimately God has a position for you and he tells you uh, that you will be declared a saint, holy in his sight because of Jesus and you'll receive the kingdom and you'll possess and inherit the kingdom. Fathers leave an inheritance for their sons, at least they should, and their daughters and their grandsons and their granddaughters. God is a father you, if you are a Christian or his son, and he has an inheritance for you, and upon your death and the second coming of Jesus and the unveiling eternally and perfectly, continuously of the kingdom of God, you are going to get the full inheritance, not of what you have earned, but what Jesus has earned for you. None of us apart from Jesus are a saint. Saint means a holy one. It means who, one who is righteous. That is because Jesus took our place for our sins. On the cross, Jesus who was righteous took your place. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses. And Martin Luther, the old Protestant reformer called this the great exchange. Jesus took your place and put you in his place. So he took all of your sin and he forgave you, made you holy and righteous and declared you to be a saint. And the Christian life then, especially for a man is not fixing yourself so that you will be holy, 
but living up to the status that Jesus has already earned for you through his sinless life, his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection, and his granting and giving the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit to live a new life by a new power as a new man with a new nature, with new desires, with a new Lord, with a new eternity. And that's all that Jesus has done for me. And if you trust him, it's what he's done for you forever and ever and ever. So let me say, next time we see Jesus, it'll be his lion, not lamb. He'll put down all the other kings and kingdoms. He will overtake the nation. He will crush injustice. There will be judgment. Hell and heaven are real and Jesus is real and Jesus is really coming and heaven and hell really hang in the balance. That's the whole big concept here. Again, in Daniel 7, don't, don't get lost with all the imagery Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the center of the entire chapter and the focal point of all human history. So this is what Jesus is like before he comes into the earth. He's ruling and reigning as a king and he's ruling as a lion. In addition, he comes to earth as a lamb, but that's only for a few short years so that he can identify with us, suffer for us, die in our place and rise as our savior. He ascends back into heaven. Right now, you need to know that Jesus is alive. He's high and exalted, seated on a throne. He's surrounded by angels. He's ruling and reigning. And he is awaiting the time of his second coming to establish the kingdom that never ends and to give the inheritance of the Father's kingdom to all of his children, starting with you who are his saints. That being said, if you were to see Jesus right now, you would not see a humble, marginalized, homeless Galilean peasant. You wouldn't see the lamb, you would see the lion. You would see the lion. That is how he is presently. That's how he will be eternally. Now, a couple of things I wanna tell you about this. Number one, if you're a guy, this is a guy you can follow. I think the reason that some men, if not many men don't have an interest in Jesus, they only think of him as lamb, not lion. So they think, well, yeah, maybe children need Jesus, but not men. You know, maybe broken people need Jesus, but not strong people. No, this is a guy that every man can follow. When you need him to be a lamb, he's gonna love you, be patient with you, forgive you and help you. When you need him to be a lion, he's gonna protect you and sometimes he's gonna push you. Okay, so this is a guy you can follow. This is a guy you can respect. Uh, this is a guy that you can pray for, which is asking help. This is a guy that you can worship. And oftentimes men struggle with worship. Let me just say this, men worship. When you go to a sporting event, right? And the wide receiver catches the ball and keeps his feet in bounds and you jump up and scream, that's an act of worship, right? When uh, the seventh inning stretch comes on at a baseball game and you stand up and you sing, take me out to the ball game, guess what? You're in the church of baseball, right? The band is playing, you're singing, you're worshiping, you're standing up to honor so men tend to only worship in the realm of sports. And what we tend to worship are other men who have done incredible and extraordinary things. That's why we wear their jerseys. That's why we recruit them onto our fantasy football team. Uh, that's why we pay big money to show up and watch them in person. And the result is that ultimately every man who is really into sports or really into politics or really into business or really into the arts or really into music really longs for Jesus. He longs for an extraordinary, exemplary, incredible man who does the unthinkable that he can get excited about and get behind. And that's this, Jesus. And I think that for most men, 
thinking of Jesus solely as a lamb doesn't elicit the same level of devotion and excitement as seeing Jesus also as lion. Let me close with two analogies, and this is for your life. So you're living your life on earth, and Daniel, back to Daniel 7, is a man living his life on earth. We see his life over the course of 70 plus years. He's in his teens in chapter one. Uh, By the time we get to the second half of the book, he's in his 80s, maybe 90s. The country he's in is a mess. That may sound familiar to you. The political structures are corrupt. Um, All of the educational system contradicts his biblical convictions and values. He works for some crummy bosses at some jobs that no one would want. On occasion, he's falsely accused and he's maligned and he's mistreated. He doesn't get the wedding or the children that he wants. How does Daniel stay resolute, devoted to this Jesus Christ, the same one that you and I believe in today, how does he stay resolute? Part of it is he thinks like an investor. Jesus says it this way, don't store up your treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, store up your treasures in heaven. The point as a a man is this, I'm assuming most of you have got investments. You've got life insurance, uh, you've got disability insurance, you've got car insurance, you've got medical insurance, you've got renters or homeowners insurance, you've got You've got an investment account, a 401k or a 403b if you're in the nonprofit sector. Maybe you've got a Roth IRA. Maybe you've got some equity in your house. You're investing, you're investing. And as a man, what you're looking for is a return on your investment. Well, the point is when you die, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Okay, that's what Jesus says. Don't store up your treasure on earth where it gets destroyed, store it up in heaven. So you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead of you. I believe part of what motivates Daniel as a man, and I want it to motivate you as men, is as he's living, he's investing in the kingdom of God. As he's suffering, he's investing in the kingdom of God. As he's serving, he's investing in the kingdom of God. And what he knows is that this is a secure investment. As men, all of our investments tend to be insecure. You don't know what's gonna happen to your real estate. You don't know what's gonna happen to the stock market. You just don't know what the future holds, all right? But what we have is this, this great promise that any investment we make in the kingdom of Jesus, our King, ultimately is a secure internal investment that reaps an eternal reward. Men tend to be very motivated to make an investment and have some sort of guarantee of return on investment. This is a guaranteed eternal unmatched return on investment. Daniel understood his short 70, 80, 90 years on the earth as being an investment into an eternal kingdom. He didn't get everything that he wanted in his life. The truth is almost everything he got in his life is exactly what he didn't want. And today he is buried in modern day Iraq. That's not where he wanted to be or how he wanted to end. But he took his life and he invested it. So my question to you as men would be, where are you investing your life? Are you investing your life in the kingdom of God so that you'll have an eternal inheritance to reap as a result of your investment in this life? Second analogy I wanna give to explain Daniel and maybe to encourage you comes from the realm of sports. So some of you guys, you're all about the boardroom. So there you go, there's your financial analogy. Some of you guys are about the ball field. Here's your sports analogy. Um, for me, uh, I like watching sports. I like college football, I like pro football. I, uh, I really like pro baseball. I am kind of a fan once in a while of college basketball. 
I like mixed martial arts, kind of sports guy. Uh, but one of the things that I find amazing is the emotional difference I have when I watch a game that is ongoing and the outcome is uncertain. And I watch, let's say an ESPN Classics. And every once in a while, I'll be flipping through the channels and ESPN Classics will have some old game that was already played that I know, but maybe it was a memorable game that I watched when I was a kid. And it's like, oh, I remember that moment watching that, you know, that victory or that battle. What I find is when I watch a game that is open-ended and still ongoing, I get more emotional, I'm more engaged. When I watch an ESPN Classic, I'm really relaxed, really chill. Why? I know the outcome of the game. Okay. Daniel's going through his life. Kings come and go, kingdoms come and go. Uh, he has all these dreams, supernatural things, angels show up, crisis. He gets thrown in a lion's den. His friends get thrown in a fiery furnace. And through it all, he's just calm. He's just supernaturally sort of chill, relaxed, steady. Why? Because for him, his whole life and all of human history is not a game with an uncertain and open end. It's ESPN classics. He already knows how it's gonna end. When you know how it ends, it changes how you relate and respond in the middle of watching the game. The point is simply this, for God, nothing is watching a game. For God, everything is ESPN classics. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows how it's all gonna work out. He knows that in the end, Team Jesus wins. Team Satan gets crushed. It doesn't matter if it looks like Team Satan is winning. Ultimately, King Jesus, as soon as he steps on the field, it's game over, the greatest comeback of all time. And what that should do for us as men is the same thing that it did for Daniel, and that is to give us hope for the future and peace in the present because we know the end of the story or game, and that is that the kingdom of God, Team Jesus, wins in the end. And as long as we're with him, then we will rule and reign under him. And it calms us down and it lets us go through what we need to go through, endure what we need to endure, forgive what we need to forgive because we know the end of the score. That being said, we'll break you into groups for discussion uh, and prayer. And this would be some of the things, if you wanna get off topic, that's fine. Number one, do you more easily see Jesus as lion or lamb? So walking in here, if I were to say, okay, do you see Jesus as tender, lamb or tough lion? Which would be your proclivity? And this does affect very practically a man's Bible reading. Some of you guys, you read the Bible and you pull out all the tough lion verses. Others of you read the Bible, you pull out all the tender lamb verses. They're both in there. There are times that Jesus is really sweet to women and children and also makes a whip to go after a couple of guys. So both are true, but which way do you tend to see him? Number two, how about you? Are you more of a lion, tough guy, alpha, lamb, tender guy, kind, compassionate, loving, safe, patient? Both can be like Jesus because Jesus is both. The point is not to be lion or lamb, it's to know when to be lion and when to be lamb. That's Jesus. Um, who needs you to be a lion? Is there anybody in your life that you need to be a lion for or a lion with? Maybe there's a really bad guy trying to date your daughter. You've been all lamb, right? Well, guess what? That's a lion. He's going after the gazelle. Time for you to lion up and 
go break up with that guy. And I always tell my daughters this, I'm happy to break up with boys. I don't have the same emotional response that you do. I actually find it kind of fun. It's not anxious for me. And so who needs you to be a lion? You gotta get tougher, not with them, but for them to protect them because you love them. Who needs you to be a lamb? Who do you gotta turn down your volume, turn down your tone, turn up your affection, listen, love, encourage, bless, pray over, kiss, hug, make relational deposits in? Number four, uh, which guys do we need to pray to accept your invitation to join us? We all know guys that need to be here with the men of God. And so who is that on your list that you can be praying for and inviting to join us next week? We'll join you in prayer for them. And then lastly, if you need a Bible, we always like to say, let us know. It's hard to be a Bible guy if you don't have a Bible. Uh, the good news is, is that men here at the ministry have been buying cases of really nice ESV study Bibles, leather bound. We give them away every week if you need one because you don't have a Bible. If your guy doesn't have a Bible, give us the honor of giving you your first Bible and you could start reading it and learning from the word of God. It's the one thing that sustained Daniel was knowing the scriptures and it'll also sustain you. Just let your table lead know and we'll make sure that one gets brought to you tonight. And for those men who have paid or will be paying for Bibles, thank you in advance for being generous. It's really cool to see guys who love Jesus, help guys meet Jesus and guys who love the Bible, help other guys get the Bible. I'll pray. Father, thanks for a chance to teach. Thanks for time together. Thank you for the life testimony of Daniel. Daniel. And God, I pray you would fill us with the same spirit, uh, the, the Holy Spirit, and that you would give us the same sort of vision of our future. He had vision to be with Jesus forever. May that be our vision. And may we live every day in light of that most important last and final day. And Lord God, thank you that his life was not wasted. It was invested. May we invest our lives. And God, he knew that Jesus was coming again. And as a result, it gave him peace in the present and it gave him hope for the future. I pray the same for these men. And God, whatever we're going through, give us the perspective that Daniel had, that our God rules and reigns right now. He can send an angelic army to help us at any time. And one day we will see him come on the clouds of heaven. And when he does, there's gonna be nothing but joy and an eternal inheritance. And whatever we're going through or suffering today is just a deposit with an eternal return on investment, which we thank you in advance for in Jesus' good name, amen.